You know, as we look at children and bringing them up and our families, all of us need wisdom. I, I, the Lord has blessed me with four, four and no more that he has blessed me with. And I am reminded from day to day that I need wisdom to pour into them, uh, especially on number four. I mean, I looked at Leslie the other day and I said, baby, I'm just going to tell you, I'm tired. I'm tired. Of course, she didn't show any kind of empathy toward me. You know, as I was like, we need wisdom. We need wisdom in our families. We need wisdom in our relationships. To be honest, we just need wisdom. I see people who come to me day in and day out and people who um, I am able to talk with and I see issues that they face in their families and their relationships and their business in the, in the church itself and, and how just individuals long to make wise choices. And, and I'm reminded that we need the wisdom of God in our lives to pervade to really uh, demonstrate to us what we should be doing and who we should be as we stand before him. So this morning, I decided what we're going to do is begin this study in the book of Proverbs. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the book of Proverbs. Now, some of you just caught your breath. I saw you. You're considering all 31 chapters of Proverbs. And you know the way I go through the scripture, and you're thinking to yourself, well, this will be the rest of his ministry here with us, I guess. For the next 35 years, we will hear from the book of Proverbs. No, we're not going to take that long, but we are going to take the next few weeks and the next uh, few months maybe to look at some of these Proverbs that really speak to wisdom and where it comes from. You know, God has given us great insight into the way we should live and the way we should relate in the way we should enjoy life. And the book of Proverbs, for example, gives us that daily application, those, the, that wisdom that can be applied to our daily activities. And I want us to look through this, and hopefully in the next few days, the next few Sundays, we'll be able to come together and say that God has brought wisdom to our families and to our hearts and to our church, to our lives. So I want us to begin where we should begin, and that is with God himself. And the wisdom that comes from him. Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. To perceive the words of understanding. To receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning. And a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise, uh, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Notice he speaks to us about wisdom, and really the whole book of Proverbs is about inspiring wisdom in people's lives in their relationships. As I have read through this first chapter in particular. I have noted that wisdom itself is a condition. It is a condition. Now, when I first wrote that out, I thought to myself, a condition, that sounds like some sickness or illness. Well, and wisdom's not a sickness or illness. Maybe foolishness is, but not wisdom. 
Wisdom is more like a state of being. It is a condition that we are able to have in our lives, that we're able to experience in our lives. Even in the book of Proverbs, I think as Solomon writes here and others will write, the purpose will be to increase the number of the wise and to reduce the number of the foolish, that somehow he'll bring wisdom and it will, it will impact a person and it will impact the condition of that individual. It is a condition. It is a condition that recognizes practical moral knowledge. Listen to what I said. It is a condition. It is a state of being in which you recognize practical moral knowledge. Wisdom itself, as you can see in these opening verses, speaks to something that is practical, something that is moral, and certainly knowledge itself. Notice when it speaks here about understanding, it speaks about instruction, wisdom itself. Somehow he's speaking about something that is practical. So it's not just a theory that we're going to talk about in the next few weeks or even today. We're going to talk about something that can be applied to our lives, something that is practical. And some of you have read through the Proverbs. I know um, there are some people that will read a proverb a day. Some of you may be people like that. I've heard people that just to take a proverb and read it each day because it is so highly applicable to an individual's life. You can apply a proverb. So many of them you can apply to the daily lifestyle that you have. It is practical. Some people would call it common sense. Of course, it's kind of uncommon in our culture today, but common sense. I think in North Mississippi, they actually say, horse sense. Do they say something like that? Sorry. I shouldn't have said that, should I? I just made myself look more ignorant, you know, of North. But common sense, it is practical. It can be applied to life. And I, I want to scream this from the, the top of the church and from the roof. I, I want to tell people that God's word is practical. It is not just theoretical. It is not just something that is, uh, that, that is hidden in the heavens. It is something that has been revealed to us so that we can apply to our daily lives. It is practical. And wisdom is certainly practical for us. Now, the writer here, Solomon, and others who will write the Proverbs, they will, they will place things, they will express things that hopefully we can see how practical it is. They, might, they may use a proverb itself, like a short true-to-life saying. They may use a comparison to help us understand. But the book of Proverbs is practical. It is, it is a condition. Wisdom is a condition in which we recognize the practical moral knowledge that's given by God. Practical moral knowledge. Now, I say it's practical, but it also stems from knowledge. And it can be intellectual. It can be. In other words, here it says that we ought to look for understanding. It says something about knowledge itself. Knowledge is good. Knowledge is fine. We need to be very careful in some of our churches that we are not anti-intellectual, that we are just not against knowledge just because we're afraid of what it may mean to us and to our walk with Christ. Let me say to you, Knowledge, as, in, as it is informed by God, is always good for us. Knowledge. 
We should be careful of anti-intellectualism, but I would say this to you. We should be careful of pseudo-intellectualism. What do I mean by that? Those individuals that parade themselves as experts, and yet they have divorced knowledge from, a, from really recognition of God. That is pseudo-intellectualism. In other words, you cannot know true knowledge in your life apart from God himself. You have to begin with God. So there is the practical, moral knowledge, the recognition that we have. That's what wisdom is, moral. Moral means that we're able to see what is right and wrong. We're able to see what is right. See, knowledge can tell you what it is. Wisdom tells you if it's right. You understand? Knowledge can tell you what something is, but only wisdom can tell you if it's right or wrong. Wisdom, in these verses, it speaks about discernment. It, it speaks about justice, judgment, equity. In other words, wisdom has a component of morality about it. And we should understand that there's practical components, there's an intellectual component, but there is a moral component to what wisdom is. And when we come to a state, a condition of wisdom, we will recognize that in our lives. I feel like I've got to now break it down for you a little simpler so you can get it, okay? So let me move into something a little simpler for you maybe to understand. A few months ago, I bought a house, beautiful house, Colin Ringo. I saw Colin and Sarah Beth here. They were gracious enough. They sold the house to me. And, and Brother Colin was so good to me that he left me a zero-turn lawnmower. I mean, it is nice. It is a great and I was so thankful because, I mean, I was moving. I was thinking, how in the world is Leslie going to push mow this whole yard? <laughs> and Colin came to Leslie's aid and had the zero turn, you know, and, and all of that. And, you know, we had a little complications, and we were trying to get a couple things that malfunctioned on it. We tried to get that done. Uh, I can't believe this, but I called Bill Cox to my house, and he came over, and he did fix it. He mowed two rounds. A good deacon would have mowed the whole yard, I think. But he mowed two rounds. <laughs> he did his thing. And then it was kind of left to me. Now, have you ever been on a zero turn? Some of you, some, you know? It requires knowledge. <laughs> I did read a little bit about it. Talked to a few folks. Talked to my neighbors. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to, you know, what's, what's, what's going to happen? Talked about it. Looked over it. Got on, the, got on the zero turn, I, I began, because look, wisdom is not only knowledge, it's got to be practiced, right? It's got to be practical. So I said, got to get on, got to do it. So I got on and uh, <clears throat> went in circles for a little while, the first 30 minutes when I <clears throat> got the dizziness kind of under control. I realized that you just push this lever and you do this and you do this and you could go around. And there's still, there's still the practical questions, though, of like how close can you get to the house or to the road. Don Mears walked out. He's my next door across the street. He walked out. He saw me. He ran back to the house real quickly. Because <laughs> well, he didn't know if I had that practical knowledge yet. But I was working on it in the yard. Some of you may have passed and laughed and saw me going around. So it had a knowledge component. It had a practical component. But it also had a moral component. 
I thought afterwards I should have warned the neighborhood probably. That was probably the right thing to do. And at least I did tell my kids to go in the house and not come out till they heard the mower off. You know, don't come out when the mower is on. So, okay, simpler for you. Put it all together now. Wisdom has, is a condition that recognizes practical moral knowledge. In other words, you've got to have the knowledge. You've got to understand. That's what Solomon says here in Proverbs 1. He uses words like understanding. He speaks about that. You've got to have that. You've got to know the fixed order of reality, as Bruce Walkie calls it, the fixed order of reality. You've got to understand that. But then you've got to understand the practical side of it. Wisdom is not just theory, but it is practical. And then you've got to understand that it is moral, that it speaks to what is right and what is wrong. And you see that expressed through this scripture. And now you understand, right? Based upon a zero turn mower. You've got that down now. So wisdom is a condition. It is a condition that recognizes. Recognizes practical, moral knowledge. Wisdom. Knowledge again tells you if it is right. Knowledge can tell you what something is. But wisdom can only tell you if it is right and it is a condition get this it is a condition that recognizes that this type of knowledge that i've just described to you that it comes from god alone that god is the source of that type of wisdom listen to what solomon says the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge beginning means the first and controlling principle of the whole matter is God. God is the one that brings wisdom. It begins with the fear of the Lord. Fear. Reverential awe. It is worshipful submission. It is a lifestyle dedicated and devoted to God. You're saying that I am beginning... This point in my life, I am surrendered to him. And as I surrender to him, I experience wisdom. Someone said to me one time, an older preacher looked at me and he said, why would God ever want to show you what he wants you to do if you're not already willing to do it? He looked at me one time and he said, Reggie, I want you to know that the first step in knowing God's will to your life is being surrendered to God's will in your life. 90% of knowing God's will is just being surrendered to it to start with, being surrendered to it and submitted to it so that God will speak to us and speak to me and provide the wisdom that is needed. It is reverential all. The prime goal, the prime goal, as someone has put it, of the book of Proverbs is to strikingly, memorably and concisely demonstrate to us what a life that is surrendered to God looks like. How we can be fully at God's disposal. And that is what, where wisdom begins. You have to come to that point in your life where you're fully surrendered to God. It begins with a fear of the Lord. And that really invades every area of our lives. Every area of our lives. You've got questions about your family. You need wisdom. It has to begin with the fear of the Lord. You've got questions about 
the church and about the community? Well, wisdom comes as you begin your life totally submitted and surrendered to the Lord. I've got questions about my work and about my business. Well, if you have questions and you need wisdom, begin by totally submitting yourself to God. Because it is the fear of the Lord where we find the beginning of wisdom. Later on, the writer of Proverbs will remind us of this in Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Again, it begins with God. Knowledge, wisdom begins with our total surrender to Him. Every area of our lives. What wisdom does is set our priorities straight. It reminds us of where our priority is. And note this. It is not the fear of just any God. Wisdom does not begin with just the fear of any God you choose. No. The beginning of wisdom, it comes with the fear of the Lord. Again, look at Proverbs 1, 7. I don't know if it demonstrates this in your Bible. It does mine. But in verse 7, the word Lord is in all caps. Some of you may see that in the English translation. It speaks to the covenant God of Israel, Yahweh, the only one true God. In other words, true wisdom comes as you recognize the only true God of this universe, the covenant God. You recognize him, you bow before him, you demonstrate reverential awe to him, worshipful submission to him, you're dependent upon him. It begins with Yahweh God. Wisdom begins as we surrender our lives to him. Even in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 12, verse 42, Jesus is speaking. He talks about the wisdom of Solomon and and the great wisdom that was experienced. But he says, a greater one than Solomon is here before you. Christ did. In other words, we were reminded that Christ himself is the one true God, that he is our God and that we are dependent upon him. It is a surrender, if you will, to the Lord Jesus himself where we find wisdom. Wisdom is a condition, a condition that recognizes practical moral knowledge but also recognizes that that type of knowledge comes from God himself. That's the beginning. If you're going to have wisdom in your life, you've got to begin at that point and understand that it comes from God. Now, let me give you this second truth this morning. Wisdom is not only a condition, but wisdom is a choice. Wisdom is a choice. Look, if you will, in verse 20. Chapter 1, verse 20. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses. At the openings of the gates in the city, she speaks her words. We call this personification. In other words, wisdom itself takes on a person. Now, this is not meaning that wisdom itself is God. It simply means that wisdom 
It's as though wisdom takes on this idea of calling out to people and inviting people, wanting people to experience what wisdom can bring in a person's life. Wisdom. Look, what can wisdom bring? It can bring strength. It can bring peace. As we totally submit our lives to him, we can see strength and peace brought to our lives. What is it that comes from God that humans cannot manufacture? Wisdom. What is it that comes from humans that God cannot experience? Worry. What brings wisdom and dispels worry? Worship. As we're totally committed and submitted to him. That it brings wisdom to our lives. It dispels worry. It brings strength. It brings peace. And wisdom calls out to us to experience that. It is an open invitation to us. Later on in chapter 8, in verse 1, it says, Does not wisdom cry out, and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on the top of the high hill beside the way where the paths meet. She cries out by the gates at the entry of the city, at the entrance of the doors. To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O you simple ones, understand prudence, and you fools be of understanding heart. Listen, for I will speak of excellent things, and from the opening of my lips will come right things. Wisdom cries out. In other words, God wants us to experience wisdom, and he wants us to experience peace. Some of us have this warped image of God. This idea that, that God is, is somewhere so distant and he has all of these qualities boxed up and all of these benefits boxed up. And if we, if we, if we begging up, if we looking up, maybe, you know, maybe grudgingly, God will open that box and let us experience some of his benefits. Some of us have that type of warped view of God, I think, that God is, is holding back wisdom just because he wants to see if we can manage by ourselves. That's not the God we serve. I hope it, that's not the God we serve. The God we serve is the God that James speaks about in chapter 1, verse 5, that says if anyone desires wisdom, if they are needing wisdom in their life, they can ask of God and that he is willing to give of it generously and liberally. God wants to give us wisdom. God wants us to experience the right decisions in our lives. He wants us to know that. Just as wisdom calls out and says, I want you to know what's right and what's wrong. I want you to have knowledge. God calls out to us. It is our choice, though. God calls out and he wants to generously give us wisdom. But it is our choice of whether or not we will accept it, whether or not we will follow it, whether or not we will embrace it. Think of King Solomon for a moment. King Solomon. He says here, he pins these words of wisdom. We would expect King Solomon to pin words of wisdom. Why? Because King Solomon... It's the wisest man to live. 
outside of Christ Jesus. And Solomon, as far as we know from what the Bible reports, was the wisest man to live. Why was he the wisest man to live? Because he was one of our ancestors? Because he was... Why, why was he? Because he asked God. You remember the story, 1 Kings chapter 3? God appears to Solomon in a dream. And, and, and God basically said, what do you want? Tell me what you would ask me for. Can you imagine that question posed to you by God? I mean, all the things that would come up. Some of you parents, sleep. God, just give me sleep. 24 hours. I mean, think about Cadillac Escalade, lemon ice box pie. Think of all the things. And it says that Solomon asked for wisdom. Wisdom. And God said something here. God said, you know, because you did not ask for riches, fame, or even for the lives of your enemies, I'm going to bless you beyond measure. Because you've asked for wisdom. Well, Solomon woke up. And like some of you all, you're probably thinking, now was that dream real? I've had some that I've thought before, was that really real? And he began to think probably, is, it, was, this, was this real? And you remember the next day, the test case of the two women that came with a live child. One other child had died and it was the one that was alive and they were arguing and Solomon came up with a, just the right way to solve it, to detect the true mother. And it says from there, it was like God took that test case and said, hey, you know what you asked for me in the dream and all? That was real. That was true. And it said that his, uh, the report of his wisdom went out to others. And again, why did he have it? Because he made a choice. Because he asked God for that wisdom. I say to you again, Wisdom's a choice. And God is a God who wants to give wisdom. He gave us a whole book of his word to communicate to us the wise way to relate, the wise way to live. He wants us to know wisdom. But we must choose wisdom. We must choose wisdom. Wisdom for our lives. Now, that does mean that we've got to humble ourselves. See, now we come back to this idea of the fear of the Lord. It means we have to be humble and we have to be teachable. We have to allow God to speak into our lives. We ask God, God, we want wisdom. But then we don't just go off and do our own thing. See, it's one thing to ask God. It's another thing to take the wisdom he gives and the answer he gives and says, God, I hear you, I understand you, I am surrendered to that in my life now. I want to follow you.
That is the choice that we make. We have to be teachable. We make the decision for ourselves. And today I'm reminded, as we've had these children that we've dedicated to the Lord, I'm reminded also that we are able to communicate that. We make a choice to serve the Lord ourselves, and we make a choice to lead future generations to a walk with Him as well. To wisdom. Now note, again, the language of Proverbs 1. Solomon talking about my son. My son. Look at it just real quickly as we close. Look at it real quick. My son, hear the instruction of your father. And do not forsake the law of your mother. For they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. Verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Notice that Solomon is speaking like a father to his children and saying, Seek wisdom. It's a choice. Follow him. You decide for yourself. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to show you. But you make the decision. You make the right decision. And we don't have to be told how many people that are out there that want to entice us and our children and our grandchildren. We see it every day. They want to entice our children, our grandchildren, to follow another way, an ungodly way. But it is our responsibility. As I mentioned a moment ago, it is our primary responsibility as parents to make the choice that we will follow, but also that we will try to lead the future generations into what true wisdom is in a relationship with God. I tell you, that is a humbling experience, isn't it? It's a humbling experience. It is an awesome responsibility. But God wants to liberally bless us and give us wisdom so that we can lead others. Solomon wanted to lead the next generations to make wise choices. So listen, wisdom's a condition. Wisdom's a condition of us recognizing that practical moral knowledge comes from God and from God alone. It's a submission, a state of being, where we are surrendered before Him. It is a choice that we make. As we decide in our lives, we will seek wisdom and that we will impart that wisdom to the generations to come. As we begin this study... Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to be godly parents, what it means to be uh, godly friends, what it means to engage our culture. We're going to talk about so many different things. But look, we're not going to make much headway unless we first begin where Solomon begins. And that is that we submit ourselves to the will of God for our lives. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Will we as a church, will we as families, will we as individuals, will we choose this day to recognize Him and to surrender ourselves?
whatever God would do in our lives, that we would be submitted to it as we hear his word today and in the next few Sundays. Let us be people that choose wisdom. Let us be people that choose to surrender to God.